you are listening to Black Star Docs, a collective of female physicians of African descent coming together to share knowledge from our various medical specialties as well as from life. Listen in as we have real and relatable discussions on health, wellness, and lifestyle in a way only us ladies can do. Follow us on Instagram at Black Star Docs and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. Cheers. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Black Star Docs podcast. Today, I will be your host. My name is Dr. Bernice Edigemfi, and with me is Dr. Sarah Ashite. Hello. We have with us our very special guest today. Her name is Dr. Judith Amenin. She's an extraordinary gastroenterologist based in Austin, Texas. Dr. Amenin got her uh, medical degree from Texas A&M Medical School in Texas and her residency training in internal medicine from the University of Texas McGovern Medical School in Houston, Texas. She followed that up with her fellowship in gastroenterology at the University of Texas Medical Branch in Galveston. Dr. Amenin is currently the chief endoscopist or chief of endoscopy at the Baylor Scott and White Clinic in Austin, Texas, where she currently practices. I mean, it's amazing that we have a female Black gastroenterologist in that position. I mean, it's not that easy to become a gastroenterologist, okay? And so we're just so excited to have her with us today. Dr. Ameni, welcome to the Black Star Docs podcast. Thank you for being with us today. It is a pleasure to be here, Dr. Dujemfi, Dr. Ashete, and what an excellent introduction. <laughs> You're welcome. And so, you know, we've been hearing a lot about colorectal cancer. We're hearing about it in the news. We're hearing about celebrities who are being afflicted by this and even our own Black Panther, may so rest in peace, but we're seeing a lot of this. So what is colorectal cancer? Can you tell us a little bit what it is? Oh, certainly. So colon cancer is basically a cancer abnormal growth that happens in the final part of your digestive tract called your colon or large intestine. Can you tell us why our audience should really care about colon cancer? Is it really common? Is it a big deal? So colon cancer is the third most common cancer here in the United States. It's also the second most common cause of death right behind Mm -hmm. lung cancer. So the important thing is it's easily prevented. So Mm -hmm. it's one of the reasons why we want to focus on what the cancer is, how to prevent it. Okay, Dr. Manning, so how do people get colon cancer? I know, you know, sometimes when my patients come in and we're talking about colon cancer, I ask them, have you had your colonoscopy or, you know, screening? They have no idea what I'm talking about. Most of the men think I'm talking about their prostate when I talk about the colon. So, you know, so I think people don't really know what we mean when we're talking about colon cancer. Then we're also saying colorectal. So are we talking about colon and rectum? Can you elaborate on that? Well, for sure. So the reason that 
it's important to screen for colon cancer is they usually starts off as abnormal growth called polyps. And the polyps are easily removed during screening procedures like colonoscopies. And when you remove the polyp, you prevent the polyp from growing, mutating, and turning to cancer. Polyps can occur anywhere in the colon and also in your rectum, which is one of the end parts of your colon. Okay, so we want to screen all of it from the beginning all the way to the end, which includes the rectum. So you had mentioned, you know, what, um, how do you get it? There are some risk factors. Some of them are unavoidable and some of them are avoidable. So the unavoidable ones will really be your family history, your mm -hmm. genetics. Mm -hmm. so it's really good to talk to your family, your mom, your dad, ask about your grandparents, your cousins. That will really kind of put you in a risk because you're at a higher risk if you have a family history of colon cancer or a family history of polyps or these abnormal growths. So as physicians, we need to know that about you. The avoidable risk factors are smoking. You know, tobacco has been, it's carcinogenic, which just means that it just changes your cells to make it more prone to cancer, all sorts of cancer, not just colon cancer. Alcohol is also a risk factor for colon cancer. Diet, usually a diet that is low in fiber and high in fat is supposedly puts you more at risk. So us Guineans, you know, we have immigrated to the United States. And although technically colon cancer is lower in country like Ghana, when we immigrate here, it doesn't take, it takes less than a generation before we are basically at the same risk as people from here. So it's very important to keep that in mind, that even if you're from Ghana, that you might also be at risk just as much as the American population. You know, it's very interesting that you talk about family history, because as we're sitting here, I'm realizing, or even our African families tend to not talk about family history. You know, the, the grandma, everybody died of, no one dies of any illness, you know, someone killed them or you know, it's always a witchcraft or this or that. But it's very important for us to start having these types of conversations with our families for sure. What were you diagnosed with? What runs in the families? Because this has an impact on the health of the younger generation. So thank you for that. That's, that's very important. Definitely. Yeah, and I wanted to touch on, you were talking about, you know, diet high in fat. So uh, we tend to eat a lot of red meat and some people will say, oh, the, the meat is better when it has the fat on it. Or, mm -hmm. you know, you see people, and it's true, right? They'll go to, I remember in Ghana, you know, somebody go to the kebab stand and specifically ask for them to cut part of the fat. Oh, give me some of the fat, mommy, mommy, mommy fat, maybe, right? <laughs> and we don't realize in a lot of, you know, we smoke our meats and, you know, things like that. And so it's very important, like you're saying, that we limit the intake of the red meat, the fat, you know, fat foods that are fattening and increase our raw fridges. Because even back home, you know, if you go to the villages, even our grandparents, they were just you know, grind their own pepper and their spinach and everything and eat good food like that, you know, get all their greens in. So thank you for touching on that. You know, but I, I, this, this is making me wonder, and I have a question. 
you know, I, I really, and I have to be honest that I haven't really thought about the diet so much when I counsel my patients because we do the screening and we encourage screening, but there's also that prevention part, right? Prior to getting that polyp. And so I have a question. Is there anything about the keto diet? And does that have any play into it? Because that's a high fat diet that takes out a lot of carbs. And sometimes the carbs could be roughage or healthy carbs. Do we know if there's any data regarding that? There hasn't been any specific studies looking at the keto diet as a prevention of colon cancer, but obesity is a risk factor. So if you're trying to Mm. lose weight, you know, and if Mm. the keto diet is a way for you to lose weight, that might not be a bad option. But I would recommend that you talk to your physician prior to engaging in any diet like that, because the high fat, you know, can be detrimental to your heart and coronary artery disease. So you want to make sure that you ha- you're under close monitoring or that your doctor is aware. And something that I wanted to say, because I'm a proponent of the keto diet. So <laughs> I, I know and, you are. That's why I asked. <laughs> so so the, the thing with the keto diet is I, I think, and again, I haven't, you know, there are no studies like Dr. Amenin is saying that tells us exactly, you know, if doing the keto diet is detrimental or is helpful, but when you do the keto diet, right, you're stopping the carbs, but it's not just the fat, it's good fats. So plant fats, so avocado, right? We talk about doing avocado. Some people may go overboard and do more of the animal fats, but if you focus on doing more of the nuts, right? Those are your roughages, that's going to help with the fiber. Then you're doing your avocado as well. Then you also getting lots of, you know, we recommend doing a lot of greens. So spinach, kale, eat your salads, right? If you have a good balance of that, because that's where you're ultimately going to get your carbs from, from your veggies versus you're stopping the rice, you're stopping the pastries and all the other things. And some people have gluten sensitivity. So you stop a lot of these things, it actually helps and boosts your health at the same time. So you can't just say I'm doing all fat and just eat all fat, right? Then versus, you know, increasing the veg intake. So I think it's a good balance. <laughs> if this is the keto diet, eating a diet full of healthy greens, you know, and good mm-hmm. fats, I think that that would be a really good preventative factor, especially if you're doing it right, like you have described, Dr. Adujumping. That's a very, very good point. So you heard it, folks. Those of us who are doing keto, don't just go grab that animal butter and animal fat. You know, increase your plant fat and increase those vegetables because that can have a beneficial factor to it. So Dr. Amenin, I think you were talking about the risk factors. You talked about the food, the diet, you talked about smoking. So what else can we do to prevent our risk, the, the, the avoidable risk? Yeah, I think Mm -hmm. that's the major ones are mainly diet, you know, smoking, alcohol, weight, obesity is one of the main ones as well. So those are the avoidable risk factors. And then the unavoidable ones is really just starting a good dialogue with your family members. You know, if our parents generation are not used to doing that, maybe we need to start, you know, we might have to make sure that we push a little further to learn for ourselves and for our kids. I have a question. So a patient comes in and they've gotten their family history and they've brought it now to your office. 
what does that change if they have it in their family history? And now, you know, does that change anything for them? Do we do anything differently? That's a great question. Yes, we do. So based on your family history, we'll tell you when you need to be screened. So screening for colon cancer begins now at age 45. Previously, we would start screening at age 50, but it looks like cancers happening in people over age 50 have been decreasing over the year that we've seen an increase in people age 40 to 49. So the American Cancer Society and now the American College of Gastroenterology both agree that we should start screening at age 45. So screening comes in various ways. So you can, yeah, Dr. Manny, you can go ahead and tell us a bit more about screening, the different kinds of screenings we have. Definitely. So I would say the gold standard for screening is colonoscopy, and I'll describe that in a little bit. So yes, I am biased. This is what I do for a living, so I'm always going to recommend it, but studies have shown that that is the best screening test, and it can also remove things, the polyps, these abnormal growth that are the precursor for a colon cancer. Another non-invasive way of screening would be a stool test. So these tool tests develop blood or sometimes DNA or abnormal cells. So the stool test called FIT, F-I-T, FIT test, is good for every year. You need to do this every year with your doctor. Another test is called the Cologuard, which I'm sure some of you have seen on the television as commercials. That's also a card that has two in one test. It has the FIT test and it has a DNA test. And the insurance company will usually just send it to your house. You put a sample on there and you mail it back and then they'll send the results to your doctor. That is good for every three years if it is negative. Another test is a kind of CT scan where they it looks at your colon and it can it can see polyps that are pretty small. So that's also another test you can do. And if that's negative, you're good for every five years. You have to keep repeating it. There are different x-rays, barium enemas that you can do as well. So those are all screening tests. Now, if any of the tests, whether it's the FIT test, the Cologuard, the special CT called CT colonography, if any of those tests are positive, we recommend a colonoscopy. So what a colonoscopy is, is a long, thin tube that goes through and look inside your colon. And if we see polyps or growths, we remove them at that time. When you remove those growths, you prevent them from even getting the chance to turn to cancer. So it's a screening and a diagnostic test. So if you do your colonoscopy and it is normal, you don't have to repeat it for another 10 years if you have no family history. The reason it's that long is colon cancer is slow growing. So depending on your genetic or your family history and what we find, we can let you know when to come back. And it's different for everybody. So Dr. Amenning, how do we know which one, which screening? I go to my doctor and then I tell them I want colonoscopy or I guess, oh, is it based on my insurance? How do we know which one we get? So I think that the best way to determine which one is to talk to your doctor. If you have no symptoms and you have no family history of colon cancer, it would, and you don't want to take the risk of maybe going under sedation to do the colonoscopy, I think the FIT test or the 
stool test, the DNA test would be reasonable. But if you're having bleeding, if you're having nonspecific abdominal pain, if you have anemia, if something doesn't feel right, I think you should definitely go with the colonoscopy. Okay. So thank you so much. I know that I've had patients who ask me, so can I, will I feel anything? Are they putting me, you said sedation. So does that mean they're putting me to sleep completely or I'm going to be there? And also I wanted you to touch on what do I need to prepare for that colonoscopy? Because I heard you have to drink some stuff and please talk to us about that because I know a lot of patients who are very, very scared of doing it. So please let us know. Of course, the hardest part of the colonoscopy, the procedure is the day before or the bowel prep. You have to be on a liquid diet, a clear liquid diet. So no solid food. And what clear liquids means, anything you can see through. So coffee is actually okay without creamer. Apple juice is okay. Jello is okay. Even Sprite is okay. You know, Gatorade is okay, especially if it's not red, because red can look like blood, you know. So all those just being a liquid diet. And then you have to drink a bowel prep, basically a liquid laxative to flush you out. There are different types of laxatives available. The one that's commonly used that most people know is called Go Lightly and it's a gallon and that's a lot to drink. But we have some that are only a liter. We have one called Suprep that is even the size of a can of Coke, 12 ounces. That's it. That's all you drink. You know, so there are different preps depending on the patient. If you've had some sort of bypass or weight loss surgery where your stomach is smaller, you might do better with the smaller volumes. If you just can't drink a lot of that stuff, if you have kidney problems, we also have to pick a certain prep for you. Sometimes the less volume, the smaller volume ones tend to be expensive. And if your insurance doesn't cover it, that might be a little bit more difficult. So do all the preps work the same then? Because sometimes I have some of my patients when I refer them for their colonoscopy, some of them have started saying to me, hey, doctor, we just want the pill. We want the pill. We don't want to drink any liquid. So, so tell us more about that so we can know how to counsel people. Do they all work the same? And is there really just a pill option for some? Yes. Yeah, so they all work differently. We just care about the outcome. And unfortunately, it depends on you. If somebody has regular bowel movements multiple times a day, they might do better with something over the counter as simple as the Miralax prep with Gatorade or even a Docolax, which is the pill that can help get things going. If you're pretty regular, you might not require all that volume to clean you out. If you're more on the constipated side, you might need more volume to flush you out. If you have kidney problems, we have to make sure that we don't dehydrate you. So we might have to give you the gallon, the go lightly, which has been studied in patients with kidney problems because it won't affect their kidney function. Okay, the soup prep is not recommended, the small ones. So depending on your history, depending on just your bowel habits and how regular you are, we'll be able to titrate and choose a good bowel regimen for you. So I think it's really important for patients to advocate, you know, for themselves and let them, the providers know what their preference and we will work with you. That's very good to know. So you had mentioned about the colonoscopy as far as sedation. So we talked a little bit about the bowel prep and we talked about the diet that you have to do the day before. 
the day of your procedure is where you get to be the star, you know, the king or the queen, where we just let, let us take care of you. So you do sometimes you have to wake up early to finish the rest of your prep. But when you get there, expect maybe two to three hours out of your day, sometimes less. You come in, you usually be greeted by a staff, we'll walk you to our suite. The staff will get an IV, they'll place an IV and get some fluids going to rehydrate you after cleaning yourself out. You most likely meet an anesthesia person who is a doctor that will be putting you to sleep. They'll introduce themselves, let them know what they plan on doing. So the anesthesia is usually twilight. You are in a deep sleep. You don't feel or remember anything. Most of the time, we tweak the medication to your comfort level. So if you move a little or groan, we'll give you a little bit more. So you won't remember or feel anything. The procedure itself, it's only about 20 or 30 minutes. So you have a nice short nap, you wake up feeling refreshed, and then we will watch you for another 30 minutes to make sure that you're drinking, that you don't have any pain, which you usually don't, and that you're ready to go back to your regular activities. So all that usually takes about two to three hours, basically checking in and checking out. Everybody is different. Some may take longer than others, depending on the polyps and their anatomy, basically what their body is like. So after this procedure, let's say I came in for my colonoscopy, I'm feeling really good. You know, I've had the best sleep of my life. (laughs) And now um, you've watched me, I'm ready to go home. Am I usually good to go home right away? Or am I able to drive? Or do I have to get some help? So before we even do the procedure, we require that you have a driver present. Although you wake up and you feel good, you feel like you could do anything, we still have put you to sleep. We prefer that you don't drive or work that day. So you'll need somebody to drive you. There are no real restrictions about what you can eat. I'll still recommend a low fat, high fiber diet, you know, but you can technically eat solid food and kind of go back to your everyday activities. I would take it easy that day. All right. Thank you so much. So we talked about what colon cancer is, who is at risk for getting it, how do we screen for it and catch it? But I have a question. How does someone know or even suspect that they might have colon cancer? What are some symptoms that someone might have if they potentially have colon cancer and don't see a doctor regularly who typically would ask them about symptoms like this? I would definitely see a provider or a doctor if you have pain in your abdomen anywhere. If you're having pain, it's not going away. It's kind of lasting more than it should. You should definitely seek care. If you have weight loss without trying to lose weight, I would definitely seek care. If your stool changes, they become pencil thin, or you feel like when you're going, you're not emptying all the way, please see somebody. If you have blood in your stool, if you see blood, when you, you should definitely see somebody, okay? So mainly the abdominal pain, the weight loss unexplained, the bleeding, the changes in the bowel, also having an anemia. If your blood count is low and is not explained, you should definitely see somebody. You know, sometimes my patients will come to me and they'll say they have blood in their stool, but then they'll say to me, oh, but I have hemorrhoids. It's the hemorrhoids from, you know, whenever they were diagnosed with hemorrhoids or they, a partner may have seen it. What would you say we advise them, you know, do we send them for 
colon cancer screening or do, what, what, what would you advise? I think that if they have bleeding, depending on their age, they should definitely see a specialist like a gastroenterologist. Even if it is hemorrhoids, we want to make sure that it is. So hemorrhoid will usually be painless bleeding. It'll be not that much. It'll be when you wipe, it'll be around the stool, not mixed in. Hemorrhoid bleeding should not make you anemic. If you have hemorrhoidal bleeding continuously, I would still see somebody just to evaluate that. Thank you for clarifying. Dr. Manning, I was going to ask you one quick question. Why do you think we're seeing so many young people now coming down with colon cancer? So that is the biggest question that we're still researching. We're not sure why from the ages of 40 to 49, the rates are increasing while the others are more decreasing. That is one of the reasons we have moved up the screening guidelines because we need to figure out why we're missing these young people who are being diagnosed like Mr. Chadwick Bozeman, rest in peace, dying of colon cancer at such a young age. So because of that, if you have these symptoms that you're not sure about, if you are uh, even suspect, even if for a peace of mind, it's better to know and get screened and prevent these things. A lot of times people might think it might be expensive to do things for a peace of mind. But I always like to remember patients know their bodies. If they feel that something is wrong, I definitely believe them and will investigate it just to make sure that we have an answer for what's going on. All right. Well, thank you so much, man. We have got a lot of information from you today. Dr. Menning, was there anything else you wanted to share with us about colon cancer and what we can do to prevent it for our community? Yes. Yeah, so specifically to our community, we have a higher rate of colon cancer and colon cancer related death in the Black community. So we are men, Black men are 24 percent more likely to be diagnosed with colon cancer than their wow. white counterparts. So if this cancer is the third most common cause of cancer in the United States, the black population is carrying the majority of it. Now, there could be different reasons for it, access to health care. It's just that most of the time we have not focused on targeting and letting the black population know that they need to be screened. Healthcare is not equal across the boards. Historically, Black people have been left behind when it comes to screening methods and even just good, affordable health care, or even just being listened to by their physicians. So because of that, I think it's really important that we let people know that we are carrying this burden and that we should really, that's why I'm so glad that there's such a program assistance that we're doing this to really reach our community because it's on our shoulders. We have to be the ones to fight for our people. So mm. we definitely want you to be screened. We are here for you. We will do our best because screening is that we don't want anything to happen to you. We take our time to make sure that there are no complications from this. Wow. I didn't realize that Black people carry 24% of that while we make up only 12% of the population. That's, that's very interesting. So with the change in guidelines, does that mean that the screening time has also been brought down further for Black people or is it still 45 for everyone now? 
It's 45 for everyone. But even when Dr. Adu Jumpy and I were training, there was talk with the American College of Gastroenterology that African-Americans should be screened at 45. And this was back in 2008 to 2011, you know, almost 10 years ago. So mm. the issue was coverage. Some insurance companies were not willing to pay for uh, patients to be screened with the colonoscopy at age 45. Hmm. So that was preventing people. The cost was preventing people. But since the American Cancer Society came out with their recommendations that everybody needs to be screened at 45, it is usually covered 100% by the insurance companies. This is the colonoscopy specifically. Yeah, that is so true because I remember even in residency, mm -hmm. you know, I, I always wanted to screen my African-American men at 45. And I mm -hmm. remember talking to one of my attendants saying that, hey, you know, I've read here and this is what the um, gastroenterologist has saying, you know, this is what American Cancer Society is saying, but our USPSF people are saying one other thing. So that's why, you know, I went into medicine because I know that we need to be there for our people, right? We yes. need to be advocates yes, for absolutely. our own because nobody will advocate for you. We know there's systemic racism in medicine. Yes. It's there. I mean, we can't avoid that. We can't pretend it doesn't exist, right? So there's going to be disparity in care. And so that's when I, I tell patients, you know, you also have to be your own advocate, speak for yourself. We are past paternalistic medicine where the doctor said, so that's what it is. Question your doctor. I'm okay yeah. if a patient questions me, right? Question, go in, research, come with your questions. You know, we always say, oh, don't be, you know, Google, don't be, a, go, go to Google Medical School, <laughs> which is true, right? Because sometimes you read all these things there and you, without the medical background, you can't, understand, you know, what you're reading, but it's okay to investigate and talk to your, you know, in a respectful way, talk to your physician about it, bring it up to them, your concerns that, hey, this is what I think. What do you think about this? Because we're here for you as a physician. I'm here for you, not for myself, right? It's you that I'm taking care of. So it's very important to us as physicians to, to really be up to date on what's going on and advocate for our patients. So thank you so much for bringing that up, Dr. Kwating Ameni. Thank you. I couldn't have said it better myself that systemic racism affects everything, including healthcare, access to healthcare and screening. Wow, this has been such a wonderful, wonderful talk today. Dr. Kwating Ameni, we're so thankful to you for being here with us today on this special edition of the Black Star Docs podcast for our colorectal cancer awareness month. And for Dr. Ashite, thank you for being my co-hostess today. It's been a pleasure. And Black Star Docs, we're here for you. Please listen to our podcast. We're doing a lot of things for our community. You can see us everywhere online, Twitter, Black Star Docs is on Instagram, Facebook. Find us and listen to our podcast. Thank you once again for being with us. And remember, take care of your health. Your health is in your own hands. Be your own advocate. Have a good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are. Thank you.